Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. and welcome back to Idealistically. I am your host, Tomea Gregory. I am an artist and a climate justice activist trying to get people to radically imagine what the world could look like if we achieved climate and social justice. I love all of my episodes, but occasionally I'll have one which I just feel like really passionate about and I just really enjoyed recording. And this is one of those episodes. Now, I don't usually do much of an introduction um, about my guests before they introduce themselves. However, I feel like I want to add a little bit of context to this conversation because I am part of a campaign called Clean Creatives, which is trying to get um, the creative and advertising industry to stop working with fossil fuels. Now, I was actually fortunate enough to go on a little trip with the Clean Creatives team out to Cannes Lions, which is kind of the global advertising and marketing festival in the south of France. And I just thought I would share that at the top of the show. Um, We recorded this before we went out. Um, and I actually ended up doing a little bit of an action with the CEO of Shell Brands. So if you're interested in learning more about what I did and what we got up to, then I will leave all of that in the description. Um, and you can check it out after you've listened to this great discussion, because yeah, like I said, it's one that I feel really great about. And um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy. This is also just a little bit of a disclaimer that this episode was actually recorded on the day that Texas experienced a school shooting and I wasn't actually aware of how close Duncan was to that and I feel like I didn't really give as much space to that as it needed but obviously it's a really serious and awful thing to be happening. It was also recorded before the Roe v Wade decision was made Um, so yeah it was just kind of a weird time to be recording um, and speaking to someone who is from the US and if there's any chance that you may have been impacted by either of those things then I'm sending all my love to you. Part of imagining a better future is so that we can try and kind of escape from that a little bit and think up a world where that stuff just doesn't happen and that we create a world that is safe for everyone and everyone has the right to do whatever they want with their bodies it's it seems simple but yeah so leaving space for that and and just a heads up that those things are mentioned Thank you for joining me. Very exciting to have you on. Do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself however you want to? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Duncan Meisel. Uh, I'm the director of Clean Creatives, which is a project that's bringing together um, creatives and strategists and planners in the side of the advertising and PR industry to stop the industry's work with fossil fuels. And I live in Austin, Texas in the United States. Um, and my pronouns are he and him. Awesome. Okay, so I have a really quick quick fire question from Together Band, who are supporting the season of the podcast. What UN Sustainable Development Goal aligns best with you and your work? I really like number seven, um, affordable and clean energy. Um, this really relates to our work at Clean Creatives because the real barrier to making affordable and clean energy 
happen is the fossil fuel industry, which really likes expensive and dirty energy because that is their business model. Um, and they use advertising and PR um, to basically help them lie their way to climate inaction, to keep putting up barriers to that affordable and clean energy. And I just think it would be uh, really nice in a way uh, if everybody had access to the energy they need without worrying about pollution or cost. I, I just think that is a better world for everybody. So I'm excited to see that happen. And I, I really see that as part of Clean Creative's mission. So let's get ourselves in the zone for imagining. Do you currently find it easy to envision an ideal world? Some people find it quite tricky at the moment, considering like just everything every day is something new. I am in the tricky category. And for me, it's it's twofold. Um, one is living in the United States right now. I live in Texas. Um, we're recording this the day after someone um, shot to death 19 children in their school. And that is just like uh, an unbelievably grim reality. Um, and it feels like very hard to imagine the way outside that right now. And it it's, I, I don't know, it's like you, you have like just unbelievable, like earth shattering tragedy, like shoved in your face. Um, and uh, it's hard to think about things besides that um, sometimes. Uh, so th there's that dynamic, <laughs> but it, it's, it's interesting. I, I kind of have always had this problem though, because um, you know, my thinking about social change kind of starts from the idea that there will probably not big one, not ever be the one big great revolution um, that solves everything. Um, there's probably not going to be that moment of like just total transformation that happens in our lifetime. And so in my feeling is like progress and, and action is a, is a process of like picking off problems one by one, starting with priorities. You can prioritize a little bit um, and then trying to find ways to sustain yourself through addressing them over time and like keep yourself grounded um, and happy. And like, I, I have this saying, which is that changing the world is about having a lifetime of ways to avoid giving up, um, which is like, you have to keep going. And it, it's not always about being really excited. Sometimes you just have to avoid giving up um, whatever it means to get to like avoid that reality. And I, sometimes I feel like that's a little grim, um, but you know, it, for me, it's just led me to find ways to really delight in the work. Um, and, you know, a lot of that for me is like meeting amazing people and just having the opportunity to connect with people around the world um, who are smart and creative and engaged. Um, but also just like, um, <laughs> I don't know, this is like my competitive brain, but like taking real pleasure out of like, I, I don't know, like for a long time, I worked on the, stopping the Keystone Pipeline in the United States, which we did. Amazing. We love to hear it. <laughs> Part of my pleasure in that was like, I just like, I really got a vendetta against the CEO of, of TransCanada. Like you would just say like such stupid stuff about us and our work. And I just be like, I don't like you. Um, and I took pleasure out of defeating him. Like that was great. I liked imagining his money just in a big pile, like lighting on fire. <sighs> Uh, so that's one way to delight in the work. There are other ways, obviously. Um, but I, I also think that like this, my sort of grim outlook, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't envision the ideal world. I do think it is useful and I should do it more. Um, which is part of the reason I was glad to be on this podcast. <laughs> um, I like thinking about, um, some like very radical, like 60 social movements, um, in the United States where, there were people who were like so deeply emphatically convinced that the revolution was about to happen 
Like they were really just like, oh yeah, this is it. Um, we're doing it. Here we go. And they were not correct about that. <laughs> um, but the fact that they did believe in it and they did push for it, it, it gave them the time to envision their ideal world. And I think they went further in the things they wanted to accomplish than they would have if they didn't have that vision of the ideal world and didn't think that the the transformation was was coming. Yeah, I think there's definitely a learning journey you go on, especially when you first like start being active in whatever in whatever way you are in the fact that like progress is very slow sometimes and you have to remember yeah like some things that you know back in the day didn't seem possible but are possible now you have to definitely hold on to that um but I also love your honesty of how <laughs> sometimes your outlook's a bit grim but yeah you have to not give up because at the end of the day we are fighting for a livable future and if you give up on that well <laughs> Well, and, and 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 part of that is like you know again in the United more more talk about the United States, but like we're facing a reality where like access to reproductive health care is going to be really limited soon, and it's because people on the the wrong side of this issue took fifty years to fight for it, and like there is some part of, I think I I worry about people burning out or or just like you know seeing their time is done or whatever that like persistence is such an important part of winning and that that's something that i think really shapes my outlook mm, that actually reminds me um i was listening to a hot take episode great podcast if you don't really listen to great it. podcast <laughs> and they were talking mary and amy were talking about how like people on the right and people who are like fighting for scrapping abortion rights and stuff like you said like have taken many years to do it and have also like they're not just focusing on one thing, like it's all these things together. And we have to remember to do that within like climate spaces or social good, like <laughs> they, they are all interconnected. So yeah, it's, there's a lot to it. Oh yes, so much. So even though it's a little bit tricky sometimes, what do you think, is the first thing that comes to mind when you do envision an ideal world, if you do give yourself time to kind of close your eyes and think about it? I really, for me, it really is just like, I want an end to the climate emergency. I want climate safety so bad because for me, it's like this constant, like ambient stress that just kind of presses down on everything else. Um, and it like, it's like the one thing it like, it sort of like takes the wind out of your victories a little bit to think like, Oh, we still have to fucking solve this huge problem. Sorry. I'm cursing on your podcast. Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> when the world is burning, you can swear. <laughs> oh, good. Great. It's also like, you know, I'm looking out of my window and I have this like beautiful elm tree that is like above my house. And it's like why I decided to move this house. Cause like there's an elm tree that shades my South facing windows and it's amazing. And like, I don't know. I love this tree. <laughs> Will this tree survive for the next 20 years? Like, can it survive like 40 days of 100 degree heat Fahrenheit in the US? Um, you know, it's like it, it, the climate emergency, it just sort of like turns everything you like and like gives it a little bit of like a barb um, and, and makes it kind of sharpens it against you. And so, yeah, I, I really think of that as like the first thing that always comes to mind. Like, I just want that stress to be lifted off of all of us. Um, I want to be able to think about everything else that we need to solve without that ticking clock in the background. You know, there's like, 
I really, I feel so grateful to like be a part of a movement and to be doing the things I'm doing with my life. But like, there's other shit I'd like to get to. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, but it, it just feels so urgent and and so ambiently stressful. It's very hard to envision the, the ideal world without it. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely like the guilt element as well. Like, oh, I'd like to go off and do all these other things. But also, if I don't, then I'm not doing enough and stuff like that. And yeah, I'd say that's definitely the thing I've been like grappling with over the past like six months or so is like just wanting to enjoy life. And then you'll be sat there and you'll be like, oh, what a beautiful sunset. And then might not be able to enjoy this sunset in however many years time. And it's just, yeah, that kind of like dark cloud. But we do love that vision of one day reaching that nice, safe, beautiful world. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like to be able to get on with it. You know, like we, I, I hate the tobacco companies, like people that people I really care about have been um, killed by tobacco, like disease related to tobacco. I'd love to go just like run them out of business, like the gun manufacturers, like all these other things. I'm just like, we really also have to get to, um, but there's such a time element and the climate is the climate. It's everywhere. You're breathing it like you can't avoid it so there's something about just the weight it presses on us that I, I find really demanding and tough as much as there are so many heavy things in the world at the moment and as I said as it always feels like what would you keep from the current reality for your ideal version I feel like you even gave a good example there of your beautiful elm tree but is there anything else in life that actually you know what at the end of the day that's pretty good. I, I, I feel like this has come up on several episodes that I've listened to, but like all the great tools we've created to connect with one another, like we are currently having this conversation from across an ocean. That is very cool. <laughs> um, I I just, I don't know, like I I think about all the ways that the internet has transformed connection and, and just our openness to other people. And I... You know, like uh, I know people who have lived in in extremely conservative, progressive parts of this country who like have had trouble dating because they're queer. And like, how nice is it that we have the Internet to connect with each other that way? Like, I really do think of, yeah, connection, communication tools, I, I think are great. Um, there are things we need to fix about them, but I think that can be done with intention and, and collaboration and things like that. And it's definitely the thing that I'm just like, yeah, wouldn't want to get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm one of those people who, like, if I latch on to how crazy something is sometimes, I'll just sit there just like, you know, that there's that meme of like the big brain. That's me when I think about like how we're on Zoom right now. And it's just like, how is this possible? And the fact that phones exist and the fact that I can see you through a camera, all these incredible things. And it's like, can we take that level of skill and ambition and please apply it to making the world better? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, on the list of things I would love to do in the absence of the climate crisis, figure out how, out how computers really work. Like, how is there a circuit board that's just deciding between ones and zeros and it's manifesting the image over the internet? someone figure this out it's a it's a reality it's not magic uh but like computers how do they work great thing to investigate because to me it is pretty wild <laughs> so wild on like a similar theme in terms of things that already exist because i think that's really important to like draw on um for imagining an ideal world because it makes it feel a bit more like realistic is there anything in the world that is kind of playing out already that transports you into kind of that ideal vision like is it a place or I don't know a group of people or an event or anything that happens where you're like 
this is the feeling that I want to experience in the future. I, I got that recently going to the Grand Canyon in the United States, um, which I, so I think about our national parks um, as an example of this where, and what's interesting about it is like people who have looked closely at this understand that national parks have a um, some questionable and like deeply problematic parts of their history about displacement and you know, the, the idea of the empty nature and actually, no, there were people there. Um, but you can, if you go to a national park now, you sort of see the transformation where like that is really starting to become part of the conversation, first of all, but also how they transform people, um, that people get that uh, connection to nature, the kind of like awe of the natural world that like uh, kind of centers you. Um, like I said, I went to, when I was talking to my friends about in the Grand Canyon, it's like, my goal is to feel tiny. <laughs> I just want to feel the enormity of nature and my like small place within it. And uh, I don't know, like we have the, the downside of all the technological devices we have is they make us feel really big and important and they give us feedback. And, you know, it, it's very easy to kind of turn them into a mirror for yourself. Um, but getting that chance to be out and see your part in like a, ba a bigger web of a natural world, of community, um, is so cool. And, you know, I, I did a, a overnight hike where like we, you know, packed everything we were going to need in our bags and hiked down to the canyon. And there's something really pleasant about having those experiences where it, that just shows you like how little you need. Um, and it's like, okay, I have my sleeping bag and I have a tent and I have food and a way to prepare the food. And like at the core of it, like that's what you need. Um, and just that chance to both have that connection to like a bigger thing and to like see how little you, all the stuff, how, how unimportant all the stuff around that can be. Um, is just a very nice experience. And I think that's something that I, I think of my ideal world as being one that's like really centered on connection and like spaciousness and relationships. And you get a little bit of that when you're deep into nature um, with other people that you get a chance to get to know them really well, you know, yourself better, you know, your place in the world better. And I, I think that's the ideal outcome. I think that's what we're all, all searching for. I had a moment kind of similar to that when I was up in Scotland for COP26, where we actually met in real life. Yeah. And um, myself and my partner, we went up to Loch Lomond. And I remember just standing like on the edge of the water and looking at all these amazing like autumnal colours. And I was just like, this is so beautiful. And it was both like, an amazing moment but also again like going back to when the climate looms over you it was just like also kind of heartbreaking so I was like damn we really need to like protect these moments and protect these experiences because there's something so magical about them I I and I, I tell people about is like go do these things as soon as you can <laughs> like because there, there, there will be things in your life that will happen. Like I know people who, who like simply do not have the physical ability anymore to like go experience like deep nature. And if you feel like you do have that ability and the opportunity, like do it because life can change very fast. <laughs> um, and you don't know when these, how long these spaces will be around. Like they do, they can also be changed. So like really prioritize that stuff because it is part of staying with it. It's part of staying in it. And um, yeah, I just get on it, everyone. Get out there. That's the message for today. Go get in some nature, people. Actually, speaking of that, this is not related to having any magical moments, but um, I was reading a book called Nature is a Human Right um, by Ellen Miles, which is basically a campaign 
to try and make nature a human right to try and make those experiences um yeah like accessible to everyone um and in it there is a campaign in the uk and i think it's like a global thing now which is um national park cities so trying to make cities so green and so wonderful and so accessible to people that they are like national parks um and i think technically london counts as one now um because if you count like all of the green space whether it's parks or like people's gardens it's actually there's a lot in london um and yeah you just speaking about national parks reminded me of that so if anyone's listening and needs a book recommendation nature is a human right touches on that and i think it's pretty cool <laughs> I, I went to the the canyon with uh my friend who works for the sierra club uh and he and i talked about how one of their the campaigns they're developing there is public transit for national parks um like building public transit systems that can take people from cities and don't require cars um or flights which are expensive and polluting so um yeah i love that stuff let's talk more about part of the reason i got you on which is to try and amplify clean creatives a little bit more because it's a really cool campaign which i'm like happy to be a part of in a small way big way oh wow thanks <laughs> <laughs> uh do you want to explain what clean creatives is first and then i'll have a bit of a follow-up question yeah so I'll, I'll go through the the origin story of clean creatives which i think explains it um my background is in working in communications for climate organizations. Um, I worked for 350.org for a long time. I've worked with a number of other international NGOs and national NGOs here in the US. And um, one thing you learn if you do that for long enough is every time you come up with an idea to do a good thing, there are really well-run advertising and PR campaigns out there to say to do the bad thing. Um, and that these are really effective at shaping public opinion and public policy. Um, and so in 2020, um, I was collaborating with my good friend, Jamie Hen, who also co-founded 350. Um, and we were looking at what was happening in the 2020 election in the U.S. and seeing a bunch of ads from the fossil fuel industry about, you know, the election, about climate change and things like that. And we we're just sort of like trying to figure out how to be useful. Uh, and so we're just like, OK, let's figure out. We'll find one ad that we really don't like, figure out who made it and make them feel really bad about themselves. Just like do a little expose. Um, but what we figured out was actually they were being made by an agency here in Austin, Texas, where I live. Um, and Austin is a pretty progressive place. Um, the creative industry, like the agency is no doubt, you know, tapping into like young creative minds in Austin. And I was like, huh, I bet the people who made this ad were not really happy about it. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that if you're a young creative person living in Austin, Texas, that you're like, Yes, Exxon, love those guys. And then shortly after that, um, Jamie came across this advertisement from uh, Philip Morris, the tobacco company. And it was about the quote, smoke-free future. Um, and the advertisement was so bad, I actually thought it was a joke. Um, and fortunately, there's been like a really great movement within the advertising industry to like not, or to work a lot less with tobacco. A lot of them still do, but... Um, and as a result, you get less good creative. And when you have less good creative, you persuade fewer people. And so we kind of put two and two together. It was like, wait a minute. If they don't have access, like we can, we're pretty sure we can get smart creative people to say they don't want to do this anymore. And when that happens, they can persuade the public less and then change, more change becomes possible. And that's kind of the theory behind clean creatives. It's like building this movement, building a network of people inside the industry that are saying, we're not going to work with we're not going to work with fossil fuel polluters anymore because when we do 
it's harder to solve the climate emergency. Thank you for that perfect introduction. That definitely summarizes it well. I, it, it, as someone who works, I guess, like within the creative industry and is trying my best to work with companies that are not ruining my future, it's obviously very relevant. And like, for, for example, I was recently have a conversation with an organization and I was trying to like scope out who they work with because they, they wanted to possibly hire me. And I was like, um, so like, who are your clients? And it's always that like a horrible moment of hoping that they like say good people. And then they gave an, um, an example of when they had a meeting with BP and they like turned them down. And I was like, yes <laughs> I was like they're the good guys but yeah there's a lot of joy in finding those people who are on the same page um and that's the great thing about the campaign is that it makes it easier to find them yeah in terms of like the creative industry what role can it play in creating an ideal world what could we really be doing with the creative industry to get us to a better future you know you, you can't I, I very firmly believe this, that like you can't go to places in terms of social change that you haven't imagined um, that like the first step of change is like imagining what it is. And like, that's what the creative industry is capable of doing it. it, it there is the imagination factory. And so I, I really believe in that being a crucial part of transformation that like you go to the help go to the place in your mind. Um, and that's what opens the door to transformation. And that is great. And that's powerful. But like, the messages we get from the industry are also really powerful. And like so much of them have to do with doubt and have to do with like, just saying like, no, you can't go there. Or like, there's no place to imagine. And they're like these really dismal kind of messages about, nope, this is all you can ever hope for. Uh, and so I really do believe in that power of the transformation and, you know, that imagination is important, but like, it really, you can't count on that for everything, you know, like you can't actually go there. And so one of the things we're really trying to emphasize is that unless you kind of cut out the bad, um, it's so much harder to communicate the good. Um, and that has to be, those have to be two steps. You can't just, it's not just like, okay, we'll put out the good message and we'll overwhelm the bad messages and we'll be swept away. Like, no, those bad messages work. <laughs> they're good. Like they're effective. Yeah, I was going to say, Oh, darn, I'm, I thought I could only ever do this podcast and only ever talk about imagination for the rest of my life and never have to do climate action ever again. Right? <laughs> How nice would that be? Uh, so yeah, I, I, I just think that like one of the things that the creative, like creativity, creative industry has to do here is just be honest with itself and like speak up and like, because you are part of this very powerful network um, with incredible tools to reach millions of people. And you have to be vocal within that. That is actually really an essential part of making the world a better place. Yeah, definitely. And you were talking about like, you know, you have to balance the good and the bad stuff. What are some of the ways that these polluting industries are like harming our ability to imagine? To imagine? You kind of touched on it slightly, but if you wanted to expand on that. So one of the ads I think about a lot comes from the American Petroleum Institute. Um, and it's like, I, I think of it in my head, it's just the hipster ad. And it's like a bunch of like, you'd imagine sort of like yuppie, young urban professionals. They got skinny jeans. These are probably outdated, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> cliches. But anyways, um, and the ad is just sort of like, well, there's oil in the records you like to play. There's oil in the jeans you're wearing. There's oil in, you know, it just sort of goes through like all the places that oil's in everything. And they make it sound exciting of like, how cool is it that we're part of the end of like all the things you love. But at its core, it's like, 
don't hope to get rid of us. You're stuck with us. And it's like it's mental pollution. Like so much of this communication is about promoting cynicism. That's their goal. And the other is like calling change unrealistic. It'll cost X, you know, millions of jobs, millions of jobs. The number of like at one point, so the people uh, supporting Keystone said that it would create 300,000 jobs. And it's like, you understand it's just one pipeline. Like, and all these things that just sort of call change unrealistic to damaging. It's about promoting cynicism. It's about sort of depressing you. And and then I think there's just generally lying. Um, you know, like, and just the fact, you know, this is an element of like, I don't want to like make the direct comparison here, but an element of like authoritarian propaganda is saying, I'm lying to you, you know I'm lying to you, um, but you're going to accept it anyways. And that is like an ask, that's what Trump was doing, certainly in the United States. It's like, yeah, I'm lying to your face. What are you going to do about it? And like, I just think there's an element of like not telling the truth that is effective when it comes to depressing people from creating change. Yeah, it's <laughs> the thought that just came to my head like right now is that it's gaslighting, but actually make it fossil fuel so it's natural gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll use that one in a campaign soon, I'm sure. And yeah, like you said, like they do it so well that in this communication, we start using these arguments ourselves. Like it's those very common arguments that come from people, like especially in the media. It's like these activists, but like have if you seen their clothes that they're wearing, like they're wearing fossil fuels, and it's like that is not the point, and you're only saying that because that's what they're saying. Uh huh. I'm just like, I, I reiterate this like to people a lot, but like every single weirdo thing people think about climate change, every sort of every sort of negative talking point has its origins in the fossil fuel industry. That is where it comes from. And so cutting off their ability to like put that stuff out in the world is so important um, because it's pollution. And like this is like a very highfalutin way to look at it, but like the ideal version of communication, like the reason we have communication evolved in the human species <laughs> is to connect with someone and to like to reach a higher truth together, to like figure out like what is between you that you can accomplish together. And like what they're doing is the opposite of that. They're like doing communication in a way that is meant to make you doubt yourself, to make you doubt your reality and to not pursue the things that you know to be true and like i i just find that so depressing <laughs> and it's like starting to not work now either because i think it is was it today the time of recording that um exxon they're gonna be put on trial in massachusetts oh, for i can't fraud? wait <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> it's gonna be i i just like i will be the person in the galley eating popcorn for that trial it's gonna be great <laughs> This has been a great conversation um, in terms of highlighting this issue because I think people don't actually recognize the power that the marketing agencies and the creative industry actually have. Like, again, we're clued up on it, but unless you know this stuff, you probably don't realize the influence it has. The one example that is like really relevant to me is um, within fast fashion and how H&M last year did a campaign which was so greenwashy that it looked like it was like a climate campaign and myself and my partner and my friend took action against this and we got it taken out of the shop window that's pretty cool that is pretty cool unless you stop and think about it they are so complicit these companies in aiding destruction so it's not just 
the fossil fuel companies themselves it's the people who help them it's their friends um and we need to talk about that so yeah thank you for expanding on it i'm on to the fun question of the podcast dun 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 in your ideal world if you had the power to invent something with no limitations what would it be? It would definitely be zero carbon travel. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What a unique answer. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, I'm only going to say, can we have a different answer? Because I don't want to bore people. Okay, okay. Um, my podcast is officially becoming an advertisement for zero carbon travel. So I'm going to give people a second chance to invent something new. You've invented zero carbon travel. You can invent something else as well. <laughs> Uh, I'm not that inventive. Um, the other thing I went to was like some, something that like really helps people like handle to like approach food with like less guilt and less weight in their minds. Like, I don't know like what exactly that would be, but like, um, like a food system that is nourishes people with like actual nutrients and not garbage and produces less waste and like brings people closer to that like whole web of connectivity thing, you know, like that is, that would be such a delight. I, I've been vegan since forever. And uh, it's such a heavy thing to have to think about, like the most essential part of life, like nourishing yourself, being connected to like a extremely damaging, um, obviously damaging uh, system. And so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say that, like, instead of zero carbon travel, zero carbon like food systems that help people um, feel nourishing, connected. Like that is, that is something that we can invent. It does take some work. One of the like influential moments for me, um, there's this Naomi Klein wrote this story after hurricane Sandy, um, in 2012, uh, where she talked about visiting this like beautiful community garden in a, uh, community of New York red hook that had been flooded by the storm. And of course the storm surge was saltwater. And so the community garden was just, it was literally swamped. Um, and that that land is like you couldn't grow on it and so i think about that a lot about how it is the system and how we are how, how like our you know you can carve out your little plot i have my i have my yard which i'm returning to like natural wildflowers uh here in texas uh but yeah like we need we do need the system change because you literally can't grow your way out of it personally um but yeah food system uh, would be really wonderful to to um to, to have to be a solution and if I can't amend my initial cliche uh, zero carbon travel system uh, question, I specifically want the zero carbon travel that is in um, the Kim Stanley Robinson book about the Ministry for the Future, with like yes. the, the blimps and like the sailboats. That sounds great. I want like relaxed zero carbon travel. It sounds magnificent. <laughs> this is not the first episode that I have geeked out at someone mentioning that book because I love it so much. Blimps, um, but yeah. The answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Final question to leave people with something that they can actually take away and hopefully put into action. What is one thing you think listeners can do to help make this world a reality? One that is filled with people using their creativity for good, possibly one with blimps, possibly one with a well-made food system. Um, yeah. What can we start doing today? My favorite quote about all of this is from Bill McKibben and it just says, the most important thing that any individual can do to stop climate change is to stop being an individual. Um, and to think about the ways that you are connected and embedded within networks and institutions that have power um, here. You know, the 
for so long, I feel like people were just kind of going straight at the fossil fuel industry and being like, stop being you, stop doing the terrible things. And they're like, no, we're who we are. And the reality is, is that they only have power that's connected to so many other kinds of institutions, banking, insurance, creative industry. What was the other one I was thinking about recently? Oh, that like consultants and like just all these different sort of kinds of co companies and institutions that we're all then connected to ourselves. And so that's the way I look at this is that like, you are already not an individual. You're already part of institutions and networks that have influence and connection. And this is your, the most important thing you can do is to look at those and figure out how they can be a part of change. One that I've gotten into recently uh, is I've been attending my local neighborhood association meetings and neighborhood associations are very problematic. Like they are so they're like almost all homeowners. They almost always exclude renters and things like this, but like I've been going and I'm going to see if I can get my neighborhood association to be part of a fight to stop a highway expansion in our city. And like, that would be great. And so that's the kind of thing. It's just like literally by the fact of where I live, I'm connected to this institution that does have power that can influence the outcome of like, what is a pretty consequential decision? Like building highways, very bad idea. Lots of carbon, lots of pollution, lots of crashes. Um, so yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I just always want people to take the time to look at. Like, what, what am I a part of? How can I be connected to other people in a more effective way? Um, and that's the most important thing an individual can do. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. And yeah, make sure if you're listening that you have a look at everything that is Duncan is doing with Clean Creatives. Um, it will all be in the description. Um, so yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, I look forward to hanging out on a blimp with you one day. Thank you so much once again to Duncan for joining me. Um, please do go and learn more about clean creatives. If you're in the creative industry, do go and check out the pledge. See if you can either sign up to it yourself or whether you can um, send it to people in your company about stopping working with these terrible companies that are fueling climate destruction. We need more people to get behind this um, and highlight how complicit the marketing and creative industries are in this. Again, if you want to check out anything I did uh, at Can Lions with Clean Creatives, then head over to my Instagram um, because I post a couple of things on there and it was just a really cool experience. And thank you to Duncan for having me as part of the team. Whilst I have you, please do remember to give this episode a rating, a review, a like, anything that you're able to do on your favorite podcast platform. It will help more people be inspired by imaginations for the future so that they can start taking action and start imagining too. Because I mean, imagine a world where adverts were just there to promote having a healthy livable planet. How good does that sound? If you would like to support the podcast even further, you can find it on Instagram at, at idealisticallypod and on Twitter at, at idealisticallyp. You can find myself at, at Tolmea, which is spelled T-O-L-M-E-I-A. And anything that might have been mentioned in this episode will be in the episode description. Thank you so much once again, and I will speak to you in the next one. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory.